Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you on this beautiful day and this wonderful weekend. Let's continue in our series, Jericho Walls. We are in a march up to Jericho. And in the meantime, we're going to learn from Joshua and the people of Israel how to knock down some walls that they were dealing with. If you were with us last week, we opened the book of Joshua and we found that Joshua was in a very different place than he was as a spy. If you recall in Numbers, 12 spies went into the promised land to investigate. 10 came back saying, too big, too scary, too much. Two said, let's go, let's obey the Lord. We called the principle, think like the two. God is with us, we can do it. And Caleb and Joshua had faith. But the Israelites went with the 10 and they didn't go. And they would spend 40 years in the wilderness wandering around because of that one decision. And last week we found our leader, Joshua, in a very different place than he was as a spy. It seems as if the years have brought some, uh, maybe a little bit of fear, maybe a little bit better knowledge of what his capabilities are 40 years later. And it seems as if Joshua was struggling, feeling weak and afraid because God was counseling him and calling him to courage. And we learned what courage was. Courage is not the absence of fear, but choosing to obey despite the fear. There's a lot of people who would say, I'd love to have the courage of Joshua. Well, here's where you want to start. Are you ever weak and afraid? Yeah, I can do that. Well, then you're in a good place because you might just be ready to hear the call to your weak and afraid heart or mind, be strong and courageous. Well, how, when I don't feel that, just obey what I ask you to do. Courage is found in obedience and the enemy knows that and so he puts up walls in our life, doesn't he? And one of those walls was the wall of anxiety. And how many of us are struggling at times, especially living in a world of conflict, even anger, struggling with anxiety. And, and we gave out a few ways to knock that wall over. And one of those ways was to get in the fight. And that fight was a fight that is inspired by God and inspired by scripture. And we called it the triple P combo. I brand everything because I have a terrible memory, okay? Not just because I like to brand things. And I want to remember it. And so we talked about this verse and everything. Don't be anxious. But with prayer, petition, and then the knockout blow, praise. Make your request known to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Have you ever had peace in the middle of a scary situation? Yeah, that's called the peace that passes understanding. I don't know where it came from. It passes understanding. It comes, and how many of you got back to me? I, I, I mean, really, it was incredible feedback of how many of you, when, when, I, when I leveraged last week, yeah, a lot of us will pray, and all of us will petition, Lord, I need you to do, I want to ask for this specifically, but that praise, choosing to be grateful despite your fears, gratitude and praise is that knockout punch let praise be the weapon that conquers all anxiety, the peace of God. But today I have a new combo and we're going to call it more of a triple threat. Any, any, any basketball players in here? 
When I say triple threat, does anything come to mind? I just happen to have a basketball sitting on this thing. I've never felt more at home on a stage than right now. You know you're sitting on a gym floor. There are guys in this room, some of our, some of our guys come out here and play basketball. You're sitting in the spot where you make a lot of threes, probably intentionally, right? You're usually looking down at the arc. Yeah. But something in basketball, it's called a triple threat position. Okay, I got my basketball coach's interest here. We're gonna make, we're gonna make my desk here, we're gonna make that the hoop, okay? Because it's very key to have this as the hoop to understand the triple threat position in basketball, okay? So you get a basketball, if you're gonna be in triple threat, I am currently not in triple threat position because that's the basketball hoop. And so in order for me to be in triple threat, I've got to turn towards it, but I am still currently not in triple threat position. And if I'm gonna get the ball and I'm gonna get into triple threat position, I need to be facing the hoop, having my feet positioned towards the hoop, and being prepared to be a threat to the defense in three different ways. You wanna guess what they are? Even if you're a non-hooper, maybe you can figure it out. I get the ball, I turn towards the hoop, and now if the ball's in the right place, I can shoot. Can I shoot if I catch the ball like this? Yeah, I can, it looks like this, and maybe that's somehow you shoot. But the goal is to square the shoulders, turn, face the hoop. I can also, in this position, not only shoot, I can pass in any direction. No, I won't do that. Some of you do. But I can pass. If I'm not in triple threat, I might be able to pass in this position, but I can't shoot. But the other way to be a threat to the defense is to catch the ball square to the hoop. I can shoot, pass, or dribble. And that is the heartbeat behind the triple threat. And then basketball gets so much more detailed. If you thought it's just a bunch of people running back and forth throwing a ball at a hoop, a triple threat position, a college coach would teach you, I want this square and I want the ball low. Because if the ball low is away from the defender, I can rip through the body, I can step forward and create space, pull back, square up, I can pass this way as well as move the offense and rotate. And so where I have the ball is extremely important because I want to be a threat. The defense doesn't care about me right now unless I was gonna do this. I wanna be a threat to the defense in three ways. If you've ever played basketball or any kind of recreational sport, you know you learn a lot about people playing sports. And people, especially when I was growing up, learned a lot of probably bad things about me playing sports. I, I struggled, I struggled with that. Because you know what, when I was playing sports, um, things would come out of me I didn't even know were there. Like deep-seated issues. You know, it's interesting. They say you can find out more about someone in 15 minutes of play than you can in a thousand conversations. Why? Because conflict is in the air during sports. Competition is in the air. Comparisons are in the air. Failure is in the air. Success is in the air. All are challenges. And what they do is they either expose your character or reveal your character. And oh man, did I struggle getting my character exposed sometimes in sports. 
But none like this guy I played with for the first time that I had known. He don't go to church here, so don't worry if you're like, Chris, you gonna tell this? We're playing and this guy turned into another person. I'm like, whoa, whoa. And, and, and in fact, it was so bad that he literally, after the game, came and talked to me. He's like, hey, I just want to kind of talk about like how I was acting. I'm like, it's all good, man. It's all good. Yeah. And, and, he, and, and, and he said, you know, my, my dad, he would just sit in his chair. And he would yell stuff. And, and he would say stuff about the way I played. And he's, he's talking about all this stuff. Like, whoa, this, this wasn't about the game of basketball anymore. And he's like, this kind of runs through our family. It's just like, it keeps getting repeated and repeated. And I, I, wanna, I wanna stop this. But every time I, I think about my dad in that chair, his grand, my grandpa was the same. They said, they just and, and they attack the screen, attack everybody, give all these things. And it was just like, every time I, I still, I still think about that chair. In fact, in fact, one time that chair was getting handed down in our family and I like, I, I wanna get rid of that chair because that chair represents something to me. It, it represents a lack of self-control. It represents demeaning talk. It re represents abusive, um, verbally hurtful words. It represents stuff to me, that chair. And, and he's just, just really kind of just releasing things that come out of him when he plays sports. You know, you know, in a neighborhood, you see a lot of basketball hoops, don't you? And, and in our own neighborhoods, you know, we can put on a pretty good facade outside the house. But right now, we're in a society that inside those homes, there's a lot of stuff getting exposed and revealed. And doesn't it seem like in some homes, it carries to the son's home and to the daughter's homes. It's kind of like if mom was sitting in a chair going, I don't know about that neighbor over there. They're weird. I, I just really think they're, and, and you know, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're going, I don't know about that neighbor. They go, oh, my word, sounding like my mom. Guys, give me, I'll give you a heads up. Never say to your wife, you, you're starting to sound like your mom. Don't say that. That's not, that's another sermon. I'm acting like my dad. This way, or grandpa was like this. I don't want to, and, the, and this chair, it's like a family heirloom. It stays in the house, but it represents things. And our neighborhoods are full of this. And, and it seems as if things like anger get handed down through these homes and you hear what's going inside those homes sometimes. Sometimes it's betrayal. Betrayal just seems to carry through certain families, it seems. And, and, and sometimes it's slander. Sometimes it's just a hopeless view on life. Sometimes it's materialism. And sometimes it's laziness. Why does it seem things seem to pass down through generations? And why does it seem there's sometimes it stops 
I listened to him say, I I wanted to get rid of the chair because it represented something to me and I wanted to make a shift and I wanted to make a change. And if you're here today and you'd like to make a change that you need to lead a people of group or a people group through, that it's not just a change you want to make, but you want to make it for people you love, people you care about, siblings, children, parents, whatever. And you want to make some change. I think there's some things we can learn from Joshua and learn from the people today. Because we're going to call the wall that we're going at today the wall of generational sin. If you recall, Israel has been by the Jordan before. In fact, it's 40 years before the passage we're in. And they thought like the 10 and didn't move forward in faith. Today, we're gonna see how the next generation responds. And we're gonna see if they choose to make a change. And if they do, what did it? So if you're here today and say, you know what? That stops in my house, what's been going on in my family for years. If you go today, this stops what we're doing, then this might be a sermon that can really be an encouragement to you. Heavenly Father, use the text today to inspire us to encourage us and to make us think about what we're doing in our homes. It's, it's funny, Lord, we sometimes want to change the world, but we don't even care what's going on in the kitchen or the living room. Maybe the place we should start is the place you've put us in, whether it be an apartment whether it be a house, whether it be a college dorm, whether it be a senior's retirement home, whether it be our bedroom upstairs. Lord, if we want to make changes, show us how and use your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. We saw Joshua faced anxiety. The people faced their history, and what chosen path would they take when they stand at the Jordan to see if they're going to cross and go into the promised land? You know, Israel has some generational sins that kind of just passed through them, and in fact, you can go through the, the scriptures and look at the nation of Israel, and you'll see them struggle with some of the same sins over and over and over again. One, complaining. They were complaining people. Okay, maybe you've got complaining in your home and complaining has passed through from generation to generation. They were a complaining people. They murmured against God's plans often. Okay, they were worldly. In what sense? They struggled and were tempted by worldliness. They had a lust for worldly cultures and other gods. They would constantly be looking at the idols of other nations. Sometimes they would build idols to other gods besides God. And God would call them an adulterous people because they did this. And that leads me to their third sin. They struggle with impurity. Sexual sin outside of God's design was a constant struggle for the Israelite people. And on top of that, insubordination. Just flat rebellion. And and disobedience to God's revealed word. And these struggles are still seen in the neighborhoods today. 
of complaining and worldliness and impurity and a lack of respect and insubordination. We see these things circling and circling and circling. And you know what? At one point when they built a golden calf while Moses was up receiving the commandments, he comes down, he sees it, he smashes the commandments. He's got to go back up and come down with a new set. And during that discussion, God says something that gives us all pause. He says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Oh, I love that part of the verse, don't you? There's a second part though. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What's that about? You mean the sin of the fathers is visited down into the generations? What's God talking about here? This gives me some concern. Is there something that I'm dealing with that is being passed down? Are the generational mistakes that come before me Am I dealing with them today? And I will say, we're gonna approach this subject today, but we're gonna first witness how a people group reversed a course in the next generation. It begins in verse 10 of Joshua 1. Scripture says this, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Pass through the camp. Now, they didn't send a group text at that time. I don't know how you picture the Old Testament with Israel. All right, hey, group text, we're traveling through Jordan. It's not gonna happen, right? And they weren't yelling with megaphones at them either. So how did they converse? Well, they would talk to the leaders and the leaders would go into the camp and tell them. They come up to the tent. Hey, tell your tribe we are going to pass through uh, and we're gonna go to the Jordan. We're gonna pass through. Joshua is telling us we're gonna move. Okay, tell everybody. Okay, and then they come down here. Okay, tell everybody we're gonna be passing through. So Joshua commanded the officers, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. And to that I go, yes. You say, why? Because Joshua was struggling with feeling weak and afraid and God said, be strong and courageous. And Joshua chose obedience. And he said, you know what? We're going through the wall of anxiety. There is conflict, there is gonna be struggle, and we're going through it. Tell everybody we're leaving. And so they went and they commanded the people. They knocked down by the obedience to scripture. He said, prepare your provisions for within three days you're to pass over this Jordan to go and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You got three days, start packing. Start prepping. It was three days after the previous generation crossed the Red Sea that they stood in this exact same spot on the Jordan and the 12 spies came back and 10 said, don't go. And two said, let's go. And that generation went with the 10. Will this generation go with the two? We have a leader saying, let's do this. Let's be strong and courageous. And he said, let's prepare to walk with faith. See, the devil's tricky. He will most likely put something in front of you that you're afraid of that will prevent you from wanting 
to pursue or move forward to where God is leading you. That wall of anxiety, it just seems to come up in my life everywhere God is calling me to. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You can develop a million reasons why you shouldn't do it, but blast through that wall in obedience and see what's on the other side. Joshua's saying, hey, three days, start packing. And there's a way to pack like you're going, and there's a way to pack like you're kind of going. Get ready. We're going to walk in faith. If you're listening on podcasts, I just raised my hand. Why, why do you have your hand up, Chris? Um, excuse me, we are from the tribe of Reuben and the Gadites. Oh, yeah, that's right. The group that had a deal with Moses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to stay on the east side of Jordan because we've got these huge flocks and this land over here is great. And we had talked to Moses. You remember, I mean, we talked to him 40 or some years ago about us staying here. So if you're all going in, we, could we stay here? So there's already an opportunity for possible division in the camp. For there was a deal made with a previous leader that they would cross and help fight, but then they would stay in the land. Prepare to walk in faith. But wait. So Joshua turns them. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and are going to help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you can return to the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. This is incredible leadership. This is a point leader saying, if we're going to make a change as a generation, we are going to walk in faith, but we're going to do this unified. We're going to prepare to walk in faith, but we are going to purpose to stand in unity. You want to make a change in a home? There has to be a unified desire. And in order to lead unity, pride can't be in the house. And if you're a patriarch in that house or a leader in that house, you're going to have to be the one who usually takes the first step of humility to say, we're going to do this and I'm going to work with you, but we're going to do it this way. If you want to lead a people group through change, you're going to have to coach faith because it's not very inspiring to say, hey, everybody, I'm absolutely terrified and afraid. Let's all go hide. We'll see what happens. It's not going to coach a lot of people, okay? And it's also not going to coach a lot of people to go, hey, what do you want to do? Okay, you want to do that? You want to do that? Okay, let's make everyone happy. No, we're going to do this. We're going to unify around this. But we did talk to Moses about this. Okay, so you're going to go over, but then we are going to stand in unity. Because Joshua wants a generation that thinks like the two. Will they? Here's the moment. They've sent leaders into the camp. Hey, three days, three days. We're going to walk in faith. We're going to cross the Jordan. Well, I mean, we didn't cross it with Moses. I know, but we're going. Joshua said, we're going. Be strong, courageous. Hey, be strong, courageous. Here we go. We're going to cross the Jordan. We're going in three days. Prepare, okay? Um, excuse me, we had a deal. I know you guys had a deal. Joshua says to you, you got to come across with your mighty men of valor, and then you can come back and have your land. Okay, sounds good. Okay, and now we're going to have right, right. What are they going to do? Same place. 40 years later, and they turn and answer Joshua. 
All that you have commanded us, we'll do. do. We will do it. Wherever you send us, we will go. Oh, yes, we've got a totally different generation. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Now, wait a minute. Now, is that some revisionist history or what? (laughs) The Israelites gave Moses the worst time ever, and they're like, just like we followed Moses, we're going to follow you. If I'm Joshua, I'm like, oh, great. That's not very reassuring. Well, what are they saying? Just like Moses led us, we will follow you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. We'll follow you as you follow God. Do you hear that? Your God, we will follow you, but you follow God. If a leader wants to make change, generational change, he's got to be following God, not what he wants. Because people read into that stuff. As you follow God, we will follow you. They trust that Joshua is following God and then they double down with a little accountability talk. Listen to this. And whoever rebels against your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Okay, that's a little strong, but okay. And then they say this, only be strong and courageous. Whoa, did you catch that? Only be strong and courageous. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's what God's been telling Joshua. Have you ever, have you ever had a time in your life where you're like, I really feel God's leading me to do this. I'm kind of nervous about it. And I know if I make this choice, not everybody's going to like it. But I really feel this is what God's calling me to do. And I'm going to make this change and I'm going to stop this from reoccurring. And we start new today. But, but I'm just not sure. I've got this verse in my heart that God's been leading on me. I just keep saying to myself, just walk in faith, walk in faith, and, and you're going to see a victory. And then you go out to breakfast with your friend or something. And you're like, so I've been praying about this and I just need somebody to bounce it off of it. And they drop something like this on you. Well, you know what? Why don't you just walk in faith and just trust you'll see a victory? What? Why don't you just walk? Have you ever had anything like that happen to you? I can give you about a hundred stories. Where it's like, oh my word, it's almost like, it's almost like a brother in Christ kind of helped me double down on what God was telling me. Hear the people echo the very thing God has been telling Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. We're going to follow you wherever you go, but be strong and courageous. And do you wonder if Joshua was like, who told, you, who told you to say that? All right, I'll be strong and courageous because we're going to walk in faith across this Jordan. By the way, it's at flood season at this point. Have you ever stood next to a large river? I've taken um, teenagers down relatively large rivers. One was the Delaware. If it's in flood stage, I'm not like, hey, let's cross. No, you clearly haven't been by a river recently. We're gonna walk in faith towards that river. We are going to purpose to do it in unity and we're gonna plan to what, what, what? What do you think it is? Because these three steps are keys to making change occur with people groups. You can develop these steps through sports, business, family. 
We're going to walk in faith that we're going to get this done. We're going to stand in unity together and we're going to plan. And this is so key. And this is so big to the aspect of seeing this come to fruition. But it's going to be their third test. Will they walk in faith? Will they stand in unity? Or will they do this? Well, it's going to be found in a little technique we all learned when we traveled to seminary for a few minutes called a chiastic structure. Don't check out. In Joshua chapter one, I showed you last week in verses five through nine that the Hebrew writers used a rhetorical writing style called chiasms or chiastic structures, parallel sentences that point to the main point which resides in the middle. It kind of works to a crescendo, if you will. And so that's why sometimes you read Hebrew literature and it sounds repetitive. Why does it keep repeating itself? God inspired these writers, but they used a technique that they knew called chiastic structures to parallel the sentences. So we saw last week, verse five, I will be with you wherever you go. And then be strong and courageous. You all have verse nine memorized for the Lord, your God is with you. Then we see, be strong and courageous, verse six and seven. Be strong and courageous, verse nine, that you may have success in verse seven. And then again in eight, that you will have success. And the main point of those first few verses were, the book of the law is your key to success. Obey it. Even if you're afraid and you're feeling weak, be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. God's answer to fear all the time is his presence for his children. And he says, just obey do the next right thing. What's the chiastic structure in verses nine through 18? Well, it's kind of neat because the Hebrews writers start with verse nine, be strong and courageous. And then we see the parallel sentences of the officers being called to obedience. They went into the camp and said, we are going in three days. And the officers repeat later in verses 16, 17, we're coming with you. Then we see in the sea level, the two and a half tribes are going, excuse me, we had a deal. And then the two and a half tribes say, we can go home after fighting. They're being told that. And the middle, the crescendo is this, the Lord will give you rest. Yeah, uh, yes, I see that hand. Um, they're about to go into massive conflict in the promised land. I don't know about you, but I look at this chair and I think rest. I don't look at conflict and discouraging difficulties and fearful enemies as rest. So are you telling me that these people are going to find rest in a land of conflict? Is that even possible in, in, in that time period, let alone in my neighborhood today, that I could find rest even amidst conflict? Well, then I'm gonna have to have a better understanding of what the Lord says rest is because I say rest is just pillows and comforters and movies and sleepy times. I don't call rest people yelling at me and screaming at me and holding things up and saying I'm this. I don't call that rest. And I certainly don't call walking towards a wall of Jericho rest. What's going on here? But one of the massive keys to understanding rest, especially in this book of Joshua, is that it's a rest not from conflict, but from wandering. living in the consequences of other sins, living in the consequences of your own sin, 
having aimlessness of life, being battered by every opinion that comes your way, would you like rest from being defined by people who are your enemies? Would you like rest from being afraid at every corner of life? Would you like rest in the middle of conflict? I would. Then cross the Jordan. But I could be defeated over there. That's why this is going to be a choice. Are you going to stay defeated or are you going to prepare to walk in faith, purpose to stand in unity, and plan to see a victory? Dad, we got you this chair. It can be your chair. You know, it's the chair that has been passed down. Yeah, yeah, I know, it's just a chair. It's just a chair. I mean, it's just a chair. It means nothing. I mean, it has no, 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 it means nothing. What am I going to be like in this chair? I want to be a, a good dad. I want some of the things that was going on to stop with me. Mom, look at this chair. I want to be a good mom. I want, I want to be a mom that, that leads her children and things of the Lord. I want, to, I want to be a mom that's not judged. I want to be a mom. Like all these things. Like, like it's, just, it's just this, but this generation has a choice. Am I going to see a victory or am I going to continue in defeat? And they make a decision to walk in faith, stand in unity, and to obey to see a victory. And they do exactly what the generation before them doesn't do. They move forward. I'm not going to spoil the end of the book for you or our series. But they walk towards the wall of generational sin and they blow the thing over with faith, unity, and a plan to see a victory. A coach gets his guys together. All right, we're going to go out there in faith that we're going to win. All right, we're going to stand in unity, but I doubt we have any chance. Come on. What, what, what? And this is so many of us in the church. We come in on Sunday mornings. We're going to have faith. We're going to walk forward and we're going to do so in unity. But we probably should have a plan B because maybe the Lord's not going to deliver. God's saying, I want you to cross that Jordan prepared to see a victory. Amen. Why? Because the battle doesn't depend on you. The battle's mine. All you have to do is walk in obedience. Isn't it good to know? that God wants to fight your battles, including any generational sin? What is this about, Chris? Can we talk about it for a few minutes? What is this generational sin? You know, in scripture, sometimes it even is referred to by some as a generational curse. What? Yeah, and it seems in some passages, God does this and other passages he doesn't. What is this about? Let's get some verses out here. Real quick, um, sometimes it seems like there are generational curses. I read Exodus 25. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Note that word, hate me. And why do they skip the second generation? Is this hyperbole? Is this an exact thing? Um, 
What is that? And Leviticus 26, 39, because of their iniquity and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. So, okay, like, so the sins of the past, should I be worried about them? But then sometimes in scriptures, it seems like God does not visit the sins of previous generations. Read these verses. There's in fact a, an entire chapter in Ezekiel saying, stop saying there's this sin that passes through generations. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. And then Ezekiel 18, 20 says, the son shall not suffer the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer the iniquity of the son. The righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. What's going on here it seems like God's going hey you got this proverb in Israel where you walk around going well the fathers ate sour grapes and now the kids teeth hurt because of it and God says stop saying that that's pretty convincing stop that proverb in Israel I don't like that going around about me well then what was going on back there in Exodus God with all that like visiting the sins and stuff like that please understand something hermeneutically and that is the study or interpretation of scripture. When God talks to Israel and when God deals with Israel, he deals with them corporately. And that's why you see wanderings for people like Joshua and Caleb who obeyed. He dealt with them corporately. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, he says there is a new covenant where no longer will it be true of the visiting of the father's sins on the children. So, so is there a generational sin? Well, listen, we're all technically under a generational sin that began with one man. His name was Adam. Scripture says in what's called the doctrine of imputation or imputed sin that is passed down through fathers that because of one man's disobedience, all are declared guilty. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, Romans 5.12. By one man's obedience, that has been changed. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That second Adam is Jesus himself. And so now it comes down to what path are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to continue to walk in sin? Are we going to come to a point in our life where we go, today, I'm asking Jesus to be my personal savior. And that's the third aspect of generational sin is everyone has the decision. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. One of the greatest things you can ever do, if you come from a line that does not know the Lord as their savior, is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior and walk in his victory. Have you made a choice to say, I wanna follow the Lord? And in doing so, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but, but God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, and you enter a new family. You're a new creation. You are not a victim of generational sins being passed down, but you stand justified, and there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. 
So why is it, it seems that there's this thing that keeps going right through our family, generation after generation. If I'm honest, we are a bunch of whiners now that I think about it. We do have a lot of anger in our house now that I think about it. We do have a lot of pride and division in our house now that I think about it. We have seen a lot of um, impurity and betrayal go through our family. Why is that? I mean, is that, here's a, here's a line you probably, probably know. You ever hear this one? More is caught than taught. Far more is caught than taught. We talk a lot. Hey, there will be no lying in this house. Do you hear me? Hey, we will not be, this family is not liars. Mom, yeah, yeah, phone's for you. Hold on. We are not liars here. Mom, phone's for you. Tell them I'm not here. Okay, we will not lie in this family. It's important to have self-control, son. You gotta hold together. You gotta be tough. You gotta be a man in these moments. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. And we walk out to the garage. Ow, bang! Like me, son. More is caught than taught. Can I flip it? Because I'm feeling some guilt. Don't let the devil talk. Let the Holy Spirit talk. Hey, bud, come on, man. Where are we going? It's church, let's go. You're going, Dad? Absolutely, I'm going. Let's go, man. Yes, Dunkin' Donuts on the way. Let's go. <laughs> 20 years from now, your grandkids are going to Dunkin' Donuts before church. Why? Because more is caught than taught. I want to give you a triple threat. To make changes that'll last. It's found in Psalm 1. Scripture says, blessed is the man. They use the word blessed because they have a word in Hebrew for blessed, but it can be translated very easily. Happy is the man. What? Yeah. Happy is the man who takes a different path in this world. Here it is. It's the triple threat. You ready? You'll have it memorized before the end of the message. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who does not pursue worldly pursuits, following selfish pursuits. Go get yours. Selfish ambition. It's so tempting, isn't it? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the same path of the world that is driven by materialism, driven by selfish ambition. Nothing wrong with having stuff. Nothing wrong with being a good steward of yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But if it's your goal, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. We went from walking to standing. When I'm walking, I'm moving around. I'm following things. When I'm standing, I almost stop and say, I'm going to stay with this crew right here. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. There carries an idea of proximity, worldly standards, immoral things, immoral ethics, immoral ideals. Blessed is the man who don't roll with that, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Wait a minute, I'm seeing a progression. Walking, standing, sitting. Sitting carries an idea of fellowship, joining alongside. The word fellowship means to carry the same ideals as others. Blessed is man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers with worldly viewpoints that mock God's words, skeptical viewpoints, cynical or critical. Blessed is the man 
who doesn't do those things. It's like a triple threat coming at you from three different angles. And blessed is the man who doesn't. Is this a temptation? Is this a temptation not to follow? We sit in church and we go, yeah, amen. But watch this, watch this, watch this. Let's walk first. Worldly pursuits. Have you been ever tempted to walk in the world's pursuits? Young person, let me talk to you for a second. When you're on Instagram and social media feeds, whose account do you look at and say, I want to be like them? That is a massive indicator of whether you want to follow worldly pursuits more than the things of God. I want to be like them. I want to talk like them. I want to say that thing. I want to act like that. I don't want to look like that. That is often a good indicator of who do we try to be. But you know what Proverbs says? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I was 18, living for myself, living for trophies, living for events at school, and all that came with it. And I said, you know what? I am really trying to be something that's not in my core. And I wanted to make changes because I was following after things and wanting to be like people that were not godly at all. And it wasn't working out for me very well. And I remember thinking, I really don't hang around with a lot of wise people. I kind of hang around with people who kind of don't care about stuff, don't really have any goals and dreams or certainly don't have a God concept and it's wearing off on me. But blessed is the man who also doesn't stand with worldly standards, living by sinful standards and sinful ideas. Here's a second question. If you know you might be tempted with this, who do you want to please? Not who do you want to follow? Who do you want to clap for you? Is it the world or is it God you want to please? Because whoever your audience is often drives you. I want this. I want to show them. I want them to see how great. I want this. Or I just want those people to like me. But do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians tells us. Bad company corrupts good morals. I remember thinking, if I'm going to make changes, I'm probably going to have to literally make changes. And many of you might not know my testimony, but I was growing up in a Christian family and I could look real churchy, but my attitudes were all selfish ambition, selfish goals, selfish desires. And my friendships reflected that. And I knew I was going to have to make a change. And I remember telling my friends, I'm going to apply at Lancaster Bible College and them looking at me like this. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. But I also remember not all of them wanting to talk to me that much anymore. You see, sometimes when you make sacrifices, you also have to make changes. But I had to ask myself, who do I want to please anymore? The people around me or my heavenly father who's guiding me somewhere? But the third one is worldly viewpoints. 
And I would ask this question, who do you wish to hang out with? I wish I was their friends. I wish I could be with them. But scripture says, stay away from the fool for you will not find knowledge on their lips. If you want wisdom, you gotta be in a room with wisdom. And this new generation, and if you wanna see a new generation, there's gonna have to be this element where you prepare to walk in faith, you purpose to stand in unity, and you plan to see a victory. And it might take drastic changes. And it might be difficult. But if you do so, scripture says there's a triple threat that you can go on the offensive. Oh, 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 man. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates every day and night. Meditate, the idea means to mumble to oneself. It's like you've memorized the scripture, you're processing the scripture, and you're living it out. One of the verses that changed my life At the age of 18 or 19, I can't remember the date, but I know the verse. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I made it an anchor verse. I took a path and I said, I want to follow after the things of God. What was one of my wow moments? Being in the back of the car that I knew the driver was under the influence and I probably wasn't gonna make the night being terrified that this was probably it because I kept putting myself in situations that the scripture's clear. Chris, what are you doing? I had to make a change. Oh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in the law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. He's valuable. He has staying power. He produces fruit. The wicked, they're not so. They're like the chaff that just blows around the wheat field. They go over this. They, they're trending about this. They're posting about this this week and posting about that that week. They change their ideals based on what's socially acceptable or not. They're constantly going here and there and they go all over the place. But the man who loves the word of God is like a tree. The one who doesn't is like the chaff. They're undesirable. It's not something to admire and it's not very beneficial to others for it's self-focused in its gain. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows, the phrase can mean a person's chosen path. And I remember telling the Lord, I'm going to take a different path. I've been going Chris's path. I want to go your path. So I got to find people in my life that are walking like the blessed man. And I started asking myself, who do I know who is walking with heavenly pursuits? I'm going to hang out with them. Who do I know that stands on godly standards? I'm gonna spend more time with them, I need a breakfast. Who do I know who sits in biblical viewpoints? I'm gonna listen to their wisdom more than the wisdom I'm doing. Heavenly pursuits, who do I wanna be like? I bet there's somebody who might come to your mind that you go, I'd like to know why they pursue what they pursue for God. Who do you want to please? Godly standards, I want to please God. Who do you want to be with? I want to be people who share my biblical viewpoints. We got neighborhoods. And inside those houses, they might look pretty on the outside, but unfortunately and very sadly, there's a lot of struggle going on inside. 
And make no mistake, this is for Christians as well as non-believers. And there's a chair that runs through all these homes and it just seems like generation after generation, they keep repeating the same mistakes. Hey, get over here, sit down, get out of here. I don't know about those people over there. I think they're weird. I don't know, I mean, I mean it's disgusting. Yeah, you know, church people are a bunch of idiots on this like religious crutch and it just keeps going. Impurities, struggles, addictions, just keeps going until somebody goes, whoa, 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 what was that? Heavenly Father, I need to make a change. I don't want this chair to keep spinning this way. I need to go with you. Whoa, 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 the devil don't like that. Which way are you going? We're going to follow after you, Lord. And he keeps trying to pull you back and you... That's why we come to church to renew our mind, keep us spinning in the right direction. Hey, buddy, come here. Come here, man. Come here. I don't want to be, hey, get over here. No, no, you come here, buddy. Hey, come here. Let's watch a show together. What do you want to watch, bud? Sweetheart, come here. Come here. I'm going to sew. Look at this. I'm sewing this for church. We're going to make this for church. Take it out. You want to come with me to that? Yeah, I do. Okay, okay. Hey, bud. Hey, man. Hey. Hey, you going to watch this with me? Let's watch it together, buddy. I'll buy you all the wings we can have. I just want to be together with you, bud. Who's the spirit tapping going, let's start making some changes because we're not victims to this. It's gonna have to be strong and courageous and we're gonna have to prepare to walk in faith. We're gonna have to plan to stand in unity. And so whoever wants to be the change agent, you better get ready to say, I'm sorry if I've done anything to hurt anybody. But I want you to plan to see a victory. Can I give you three questions to leave with? Three slides with questions to leave with. And don't shoot the messenger. Please don't hate me. But I'm gonna give you some questions to give your family's permission to talk. And you can blame it on me. Like Pastor Chris said, we had to ask these questions. But I'm gonna get in trouble for these, but I'm gonna try. Ready, ready? If you wanna get into this and you really wanna talk about things stopping in generations, ready? I want you to be willing to ask people in your house, what do you wish we would stop in this house? Ask your kids, what do you wish would stop in this house? They've got an answer. The question is, will you be ready for it? Here's another one. What do you hope we will continue to do in this house? I like that one. When they're little, they go, can we continue to go get ice cream? We can. But are you ready for daddy? Can you stop yelling at your football team so loud it scares me? Can you get ready for something like that? You wanna dive a little deeper? Okay, I'm really gonna get myself in trouble. Walk up to somebody struggling in your house and say, what do you wish I would stop doing? I had a father share this. He said, I, I, I did this with my teenage daughter. What do you wish I would stop doing? I go, she have an answer? He said, oh, she had an answer. <laughs> but what do you hope that I keep doing? Because I've also heard dads and moms share with me that my daughter likes when I take her out by herself. And I didn't know how much it meant to her because she never talked that much, but we're gonna keep doing it. One last one. Ask dad this driving home or ask mom or ask us grandpa, whatever. What do you wish didn't get passed down through all our family? 
They're gonna have an answer, just get ready. It's gonna sound like a soapbox, but just hang on. It'll be healing for them. What do you hope will get passed down? Because so often we look at the past with resentment, but I bet there's some good you can find. And maybe you repeat it. Some questions I give you permission to ask each other. Heavenly Father, we got real vulnerable today. And I know the enemy wants to come in here and shame and guilt people. So we need to hear from the Holy Spirit who wants to inspire and convict us. Lord, what do we need to stop? And what do we need to keep doing? For at the end of the day, you're the only one who really matters, but the people we love, if we're gonna be transparent enough to deal with some of this stuff, we're gonna have to be vulnerable and be humble. But Lord, we've all made mistakes. We'll continue to make mistakes. And we need your grace and we need the grace of those we love. But Lord, with humility and faith and unity and a passion to see a victory, would you lead somebody to find some healing in some areas that have been hurts for a while and maybe even use our questions to break the ice, to knock over this wall of repetitive sin that could be stopped with a little humility. Lord, I pray for the dad in here who says, that ends with me. That ends in this house. That had happened to me, it happened to my grand, it ends here. It's gonna be tough. I pray for that mom who says, it ends with me. And mom, it ends with me. But I also pray that they would spend more time thinking about all the great things that have been passed down that they could repeat. For those are often your blessings. And when we focus on that, we can find that true strength to go see that victory. Thank you for this message, Lord. I pray we can knock this wall over and I pray we will do it in your strength for the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen.